Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. We've got Tottenham's 1-1 draw against Liverpool to discuss today as well as some comments from a certain German manager after the game. Alistair Gold is joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I made it back from Liverpool. I made it back from what appears to be the Stagdu and Hindu capital of the world right now. Um, obviously, because uh, of the late night, I had to stay over in Liverpool and just seemed to be various kind of drunken brides to be littered <laughs> around some of the streets and under the uh, the steps of the hotel that I was staying at, which was a strange sight. But uh, I quite like Liverpool. It was like the first chance I've actually had to walk around Liverpool. Normally, I just go straight to Anfield or that other stadium on the other side of Liverpool. And, um, yeah, whereas this time I actually got to walk uh, walk around it a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was good. And, and the match was a it was a, a fascinating match. Is probably the best way to put it. It was it wasn't a thriller, but you know I was pretty impressed with Spurs. It's just such a shame that it wasn't really the result that they wanted or needed. Um, because any other point in the season, and I think that's a performance they come away and really build on, whereas unfortunately it's kind of come at a time when it just needed that a little bit more, but uh, gives us plenty to talk about anyway. Yeah, plenty to talk about, and yeah, Liverpool is a great city. If anyone's not been, I definitely do recommend it. It's a really, really good place. In terms of the game then, I mean, Tottenham really potentially could have left Anfield with all three points, leading thanks to Son Heung-Min's goal in the second half. Luis Diaz, who was linked with a move to Tottenham in January, saw a deflected effort go in 16 minutes from time. And Spurs did have a chance right at the end through Pierre-Emil Hoiberg to win it, but he didn't take it. Uh, so a 1-1 draw. Uh, I know a lot's been said about Tottenham's performance and their approach to the to the game. Do you, do you want to just give us your thoughts, first of all, on what you saw at Anfield? Yeah, I saw an incredibly well-drilled Tottenham team. Um, they clearly, Conte had had the full seven days to work with the team on the pitches of Hotspur way, and when that happens, you get performances like that. You do. Um, obviously, People might say, well, you know, why couldn't they do that against uh, Brighton and Brentford? And that's absolutely understandable. But in this kind of game, I think he just he relished the tactical battle, Conte. Um, and this is the thing. I don't know. There's this narrative that, as you keep calling him, certain um, German manager. Um, we are going to name Jürgen Klopp at some point. Well, there you go. We just named him. But... Um, yeah, there's this narrative that was kind of tried to be pushed out after the game about like Spurs were parking the bus or something. They weren't at all because the whole point of Conte's game plan, and he kept talking about it afterwards, was passing around the press. So it wasn't a case of they were all sitting back, hoofing it and hoping something happened. The whole plan, you could see it out there. And that's what was what scaring the Spurs fans so much was that they kept trying to pass around the press or dribble around the press. And 
had they not had they had a little bit better um, decision making in the final third, I think the Spurs would have carved Liverpool apart a lot. You know, they would have had a lot more chances than they ended up having, and they had enough chances to win the game. Um, so yeah, I. I yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about all of that in a bit. So I don't want to trample all of that too early. But in terms of the performance, I thought there were some phenomenal displays among the team. Um, the back line, all back three were brilliant. Um, Larice really didn't have much to do. As I was, I was just saying to you before we recorded this, so the recording was that I watched Match of the Day two for the first time just this morning. Uh, finally got to kind of see some footage of the game rather than just what I saw live with my eyes and. You could see Manchester United two didn't really know what to do in terms of showing Liverpool chances. They were showing these random headers and things that just went off miles away from the goal, but like closer to the corner flag than the goal. And it was because Spurs restricted Liverpool to these pot shots. Um, yeah, I'd say Spurs' chances on the night were the better chances. I think they were. Liverpool's efforts. I mean, all I can really remember in my head was Van Dijk heading against the bar Lloris having this kind of push away Sessignon's miscued header. I feel like there was one save he made, a comfortable one from Mane early on. And then obviously Diaz's goal, which I must admit, I didn't realise how much of a deflection that was. At the time, we kind of saw it deflect because we were, our view was, oh, I don't know, we were, we're not quite side on to it, but we weren't that far. So to actually see the shot from behind and the wicked deflection it took from Bendiker. I can see why it was so gutting for the Spurs defence. With everything they'd done, that was how Liverpool managed to break through. Um, and you know what? I also want to talk about the atmosphere at Anfield. You'll probably like this. But the atmosphere at Anfield, it wasn't quite what it was all cracked out to be or made to be. I was really, I, was, I suppose, disappointed in a way. I have been there when it has been much noisier. But what I kind of felt was, and this is, I think, it's testament to the way Tottenham played. I felt like it was really noisy for the first 10 minutes and pre-match, obviously, when, when they get singing and all that sort of stuff. But then I'd say after 10 minutes, when Spurs kind of weathered that early storm, and I think Spurs had one break up the pitch. I can't remember what happened. I don't think it really ended with anything, but it just stopped the crowd really, um, you know, going mad. And then... That was probably it until the first five, ten minutes of the second half. Then obviously Diaz's goal, when he when that went in, they they kind of went mad for a couple of minutes. But then it was just like getting excited about corner kicks and the things like that. And it was a bit like, oh, this isn't really what I expected tonight. I expected your team in a title charge needing to win this game, like 90 minutes of just constant noise and making it really difficult for Tottenham. But Spurs players, to be fair, you know, Conte asked for that mentality. And I asked him this question afterwards. You know, you, you want this kind of improved mentality and, and fortitude from your team. They showed it. They, they, they were not put off by any noise they had. There were maybe a couple of early nervy passes, but nothing major. Um, and a lot of that came from the passing around the press. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised at this, this kind of fabled Anfield atmosphere. I saw it in little bits, but... It was a day when I think actually Liverpool, and this is this will all link back in for Tottenham and North London derby later. But I think Liverpool really needed the crowd 100% behind them the whole time, being noisy, and they weren't. And, and again, as I say, testament to Tottenham. Yeah, it just seemed to be dead silence after mm. Son you can hear the Spurs fans. The first. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're thinking if you go in one nil down, then that's when you do need the fans behind you to like yeah. really get behind you and roar you on to victory. But that wasn't the case. But you know, you've got to give an awful lot of credit to Antonio Conte and Tottenham uh, for how they approached the game and how they uh, performed at Anfield because you've seen a number of teams go there and just get ripped to shreds. But that wasn't the case. Spurs were to a man excellent on the night, deservedly got something out of the game. And it's just a shame it wasn't three points, really, uh, because they played very well. And as you were saying, probably limited to Liverpool to very little in terms of chances. I can't remember Lloris, apart from that Sessignon header, having uh, a real save to make, really. But I think the ones what showed on the highlights from the first half were... You know, shots from distance, what were comfortable, weren't testers at all for him. Uh, Van Dijk hit the bar. But even in the second half, you're expecting Liverpool to really kick on when they're needing a goal and yeah. create those chances. But they weren't. And yeah, it's always going to be difficult when you've got a number of players behind the ball and there's limited spaces. And I think someone said it after the game, it might have been Conte in terms of someone has a shot in this crowded box and it takes a deflection, then you can get like a lucky bounce maybe or a goal from it. But Liverpool just, no, it's strange really, having seen them play so well in the previous months to, to not really doing that on Saturday. I think you've just got to give an awful lot of credit to Tottenham. But Spurs did exactly the same at City, at the Etihad in February, not, Many people gave them a chance at all at getting something from the game, but this is where Conte is at his best, isn't it? When he has like a full week on the training pitch, he can just drill it into his team. And yeah, they performed uh, really well. I think you've got to give him a lot of credit for that performance. Yeah, yeah. Now, it was, uh, like you say, it was the organisation, and that's what impressed me. And it didn't matter how old they were, because there were a few young players out there. You know, you think about Sessing on 21, Emerson 23. Romero then just turned 24. You know, a fair few people in that back line are, are pretty young, but they were tactically so disciplined. They knew exactly where they needed to be. They knew the moments that they could break forward. Um, and, yeah, and Hoybier, obviously, we're, we're going to talk about his miss, but I don't want that to really overshadow what I thought was a terrific performance from him as well. I thought he was everywhere. He was like a an annoying rash on Liverpool and as always, you know, when, when they moan about things like time wasting and things like that, it's, it's often Hoybier. He is those, he's, he's, you know, he's been drilled by in the big clubs, you know, Bayern Munich of, of knowing how to manage games. And, and he did that. Um, it's just a shame he didn't manage to, to kind of do a better header towards the end because we've been talking about a completely different scenario. But yeah, there were so many good performances. Even, even I'd say the attackers who, probably could have done better on the day even they kind of had a part to play um, in everything they did defensively and I don't know, we're going to talk about defenders because so we're going to talk about some of the incredible things we saw them do but uh, are we going to talk about Klopp shall I read out his quotes yeah go for it okay okay so if you're not aware by now um, Jurgen Klopp was asked after the game it was actually by Charlie from The Athletic asked him whether he was impressed by Tottenham's defending, which essentially turned into waving kind of a red flag at a bull. Because <laughs> he said, 
I'm sorry, I'm the wrong person for that. I don't like this kind of football, but that's my personal problem. I think they're world-class and I think they should do more for the game. I think the game against Liverpool, they had 36 or 38% possession, but it's my problem. I cannot coach it, so that's why I cannot do it. So, yes, world-class players block all the balls. Really difficult. Atletico Madrid is doing it. Fine. They won whatever. Fine. Absolutely fine. I just can't. I respect everything they do, but it's not me. Your thoughts on that, Robert? Yes. Well, is Antonio Conte uh, going to be in front of the FA this week for bringing the game into disrepute? how Tottenham performed at Anfield is ridiculous. It, it's always the same with Klopp when Liverpool don't win. And it was the same in December when Tottenham drew 2-2. Was, was he complaining about long balls that day? Tottenham playing too many long balls? I suppose battered them that day. They had so many chances that day. But I think Liverpool... I could be wrong. Liverpool actually played more long balls that game than Spurs, but still oh, yeah. he yeah. criticised. Um, yeah, he's, he's always the same. Uh, sometimes, you know, be gracious in defeat or when you draw, give credit to, to your opposition. They are one of the best teams in the world. And yeah, you just got to accept it at times, but he, he just doesn't, seem to be able to do that and it's a huge compliment to him and his side that teams could come and set up that way because you cannot go toe-to-toe because you will get ripped to shreds that's why Everton did it two weeks ago at Anfield fighting for the lives you cannot go play all-out attacking football because they will annihilate you. you you just can't do it and for me in terms of football now there just seems to be a certain perception, probably since Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team was so successful 10, 13 years ago, that you have got to play that style of football. That's the right way to play it. But at the end of the day, there's no wrong way or right way of playing football. You concentrate on yourselves, first of all. You don't set up so you can just roll over and let Liverpool win like Klopp wants, like Liverpool want like probably a lot of the media want them to to win the league. You can't do that. You concentrate on your jobs. Spurs are fighting for a Champions League place. You've got to set up a certain way to, to leave Anfield with points, and they did that. I just uh, I don't know with them. It's it's always it's always the same. Always. Well, at least they didn't blame the wind this time. Um... Do you know what? I, I like Klopp. I do. And I like, I love the way he's got his Liverpool team playing. I do think they're one of the most, uh, you know, attractive teams to watch them in City and just the Gagan press stuff. It's just incredible, their, their stamina. However, I'm with you on this. I, I just feel like this is the one area he lets himself down in. It's almost this, but you just didn't roll over and let us win attitude. Oh, what are you talking about kind of thing? The whole point of football, especially at the top level, is that there are tactical battles. If a manager comes there and tactically sets up in his team, and this was not set up to draw, this was a, a tactic to come there and for Spurs to win, which they should have done, Tottenham. I just find it really odd. Um, especially, you know, uh, and Spurs fans have quickly kind of, as, as we said about when he spoke about long balls in the first game and how Liverpool had actually played more. It was like, 
I don't know why he started talking about a 36%, 38% position, because that kind of reminds me of a certain night in Madrid that you and I were both at in the Champions League final, when Liverpool had, yes, 35% of the possession that day. They played half of Spurs' 510 passes that night. Yet, shock horror, they were more efficient in front of goal. Spurs weren't, despite all the openings they created. It sounds very familiar. Yes, it sounds like Saturday night at Anfield. And I just I don't get that logic. Is It's almost like a holier-than-now thing. It's like my style of football is absolutely fantastic. And whatever you guys do, you know, it's beneath me. And I don't like, I just don't like it. So it does, it's for a guy who I like the way he conducts himself in a lot of things he does. But in terms of this, it just, it only smacks of kind of sour grapes. That's what it is. It's almost like, yeah, we messed this up. Yeah, we kind of, you've, you've slightly, well, you've put a big old dent in our title challenge. I'm going to get really annoyed at this. Um, I didn't. I didn't see the reasoning for it. I didn't see the positive in it. I didn't see how it benefited Klopp. Uh, like I say, maybe it was some idea to push some kind of narrative, but nobody cares. It hasn't been this big thing. It hasn't created a big storm about how Liverpool was stopped. It At the end of the season, if Liverpool finish second, that's all that will go down in the history books. It won't be that Jurgen Klopp moaned that Antonio Conte's Tottenham didn't play exactly the same football as Liverpool in the one-one draw at Anfield. You know that's that's the beauty of football is that everyone plays different kinds of the game. I, I just I just couldn't get where he was coming. I was kind of watching. It was like oh, because I was only like what ten feet away from him. And it's just like what are you saying? Um, it was interesting because. We actually weren't entirely sure what he'd said. I think that we were so kind of surprised at the way he was talking. We weren't entirely sure. We wanted to listen back to what he'd said, which actually meant that, because Conte was waiting outside to come straight in afterwards. So we didn't actually get to ask the follow-up question because we were like, we better check exactly what he said first. Otherwise, we create an innocent that maybe wasn't there. And then we listened to it back. And it's like, oh, man, he actually said what we thought he did. But I suppose the good thing is we've got the press conference tomorrow and we'll you know, Conte will be ready. He'll have been think- hearing that and thinking about it in the last few days. So if anything, we'll probably get an even better reaction. Um, and, you know, Gary Neville kind of weighed into it as well the next day, which surprised me. Um, he um, he quote tweeted Klopp's uh, video of it, of him talking, and he said something along the lines of, I respect Antonio Conte, but this for me is why he wouldn't have been the right fit for Man United. As a... You know, you know me. I'm not the kind of person to really respond to these big Twitter accounts. I, I just I don't really care most of the time. I just have more fun kind of larking about on Twitter with Spurs fans and, and us lot kind of stuff. But I saw this, I was just like, that's such a bad take. And no one seems to be really massively questioning this. Um you know, this is the Man United scene that have been horrendous. You know, just got battered 4-0 by Brighton. It could have been even more. And look, I don't want Antonio Conte to go to Man U. No way I want him to be at Spurs next season because I think he can do really great things with Spurs. But I just saw that and I had to reply and just kind of had to point out the fact that, you know, this was a game plan for a specific match. That's all it was. This isn't the way Tottenham play. It's the way they play in these kind of games where they're like, okay, well, we know possession-wise we're not going to be able to match them. We know 
that they're, you know, these are teams that have been assembled expensively over years and that are absolutely fine-tuned. Whereas Conte's Tottenham, it's six months of work. That's all it is. And with a squad that isn't really his. So, yeah, I just kind of, I had to point out the fact that, <laughs> you know, Conte's been in charge of Spurs for 25 Premier League matches. In that time, they've scored 51 goals. That's the third highest total in the Premier League. It's only seven fewer than Liverpool and 13 more than the United side that apparently he's not fit to manage or not the right person to manage. Um, I just don't understand. I just couldn't understand it. Being tactically adaptable now is a bad thing. It's like almost, no, you should only play this way. You should only play this free-flowing, possession-based football. That's the only way to play. This kind of ideal of the way things should be. I don't know if I'm misremembering it, but Sir Alex Ferguson used to play in all different kind of styles. I don't remember them only playing the one way, and I think that was why he was so successful. I just find it staggering. Um, so, yeah, I had to reply. And and weirdly, at one point, I think more people seem to be responding to my tweet than his or something. It was, it was very weird. So like I say, it's not something I normally do whatsoever. Um, but, yeah, I just found a whole comments from Klopp, that reaction from Gary Neville, I just found it weird. I just found it really odd. It's like, if you can't say that Conte is one of the world's best managers and can adapt to any match, you know, this isn't to say he's perfect, and we've seen this. We've seen certain decisions and tactical things in Spurs games that, you know, we we haven't always liked. But to kind of say that he wouldn't have been a good fit if if Conte would have started the season at United, I think United probably would have finished. They probably would have challenged. I think they genuinely probably would have. I think they would have given City and Liverpool an actual run for their money. So I just find that weird. And also, Gary Neville, if I'm not mistaken, was pushing for Diego Simeone to be a United manager at one point. <laughs> like, now that's a manager who likes his pragmatic football. That is not a free-flowing, thrilling, attacking manager. Um, I just... Found it weird, um, but yeah, yeah. I've never got this thing why Antonio Conte isn't the right fit for Manchester United. It is a winner. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he might question what's happening at the club, but surely that's what's actually needed at, at Old Trafford right now. Oh, given shambles right now. Everyone I know the, the results says it's a shambles. But as you're saying, in terms of being tactically adaptable. You've got to be as a modern manager. You can't just play the same way week in, week out. Prime example, Marcello Bielsa at Leeds, one way of playing. In his first season at Leeds, uh, back in the Premier League, they lost 6-2 at Manchester United. Leeds is supposed like cup final. They've been waiting for that game for years and years and they were 2-0 down after three minutes. Lost 6-2. But lo and behold... They came came out of that game with so much praise because of their attacking ways. It's like it's, it's balmy. You've lost the game six two. There's like no positives to take out of it. And then this season they've carried on playing exactly the same way. And um, the second season you do get found out, and that's been the case this season. Leeds sit in the bottom three at the moment. They've lost 7-0 at Man City, 6-0 at Anfield, Spurs won 4-0 at Ellen Road. Maybe if Bielsa had 
a different approach in games where I thought, yeah, we're going to have to be a bit more defensive here against the top teams. Then they'd have a few more points on the board that wouldn't be in the bottom three. It's like you have got to have another way of playing football. This perception of it's got to be one way is just totally wrong. Yeah, and unless I'm mistaken, Bielsa has not been exactly trophy-laden in his career in, in recent decades. I know he started off, and I think that there was there were trophies there, but it's, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't get my head around it. I cannot get my head around saying there's only one way to play football. It's, it's baffling. I mean, you know, look at the different managers Everton have had this season. <laughs> you could have had more varied managers if you tried. And the thing is, at the end of the season, you remember who wins the league, where your team finishes. You don't go back a few years later and go, oh, I'd remember how well we played at Anfield, but we didn't win and all that. No, it's just, I don't get it. To be honest, you've got to be tactically adaptable. You cannot play the same way all the time. Yeah, and maybe that was something that used to be said about Poch. Even Poch used to get that sometimes, that he would always say to us, my philosophy is what Tottenham do. I don't care what the opponent's going to do. And maybe that was one of his issues, that sometimes he didn't set out to counter what the, the opponents were going to do. And that's maybe why Spurs didn't win any trophies under him, because he wasn't quite adaptable enough. Maybe that's something... Obviously, he was a younger manager there. Maybe that's something he will learn or has learned. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's just... It was... It's just such sour grapes from Klopp. It just, it just was, it was almost like, I'm going to lash out now because I can't just admit that we failed to find a way to defeat this tactic. And twice this season. And also, he wasn't complaining when Spurs beat City twice, did he? Didn't complain at all, funnily enough. Spurs, he should be thanking Spurs, who gave him a six-point advantage in the title race. But they couldn't take it. But yeah, yeah, let's let's lash out at Tottenham. <laughs> let's let's try and patronise and belittle their approach to things. And he say something like, "That's why they're fifth or something like that. I yeah, just, it, it really lacked class. It really did. It's, it's just sour grapes, and it's always the same when Liverpool drop points. Always, and it's only really, I'd probably say, like the past year, eighteen months, when people have picked up on it. It's been the same since he's been at the club. Yeah. That's why. I'd, Quite a lot of people don't really like him. So, big uh, <laughs> statement there. Quite a lot of people. Oh, fans, fans. Uh, they people you know that res- that wear blue shirts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Before we get back onto the game, obviously, as we said in the last episode, we've got a new sponsor, NordVPN. Ali, do you want to just talk about what a VPN is and the benefits of NordVPN? Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, just a, just a quick shout out, really, for our, our sponsors, NordVPN. Um, we've obviously been allowed to have a little kind of play around, and, and if you're wondering what a VPN is, it's a, a virtual private network, is what it stands for, um, and it's the kind of thing that I suppose the key thing of it is is, protect, is protecting, I guess, is is your privacy, uh, protecting pretty much everything you do on the internet. That that's his key. Purpose. It's kind of encrypting what you do, hide your IP address, um, and it allows you to kind of use public Wi-Fi in a safer way. That's its key element. But also, because of the actual natural um, side effects of the fact that you're, you know, you're able to connect to vi- virtual private networks. Let's say, you know, 
here I am in England. I can use virtual private networks from anywhere in the world. I could, you know, I was playing around with it earlier this morning and I was using one from New York and I can use it from Australia, any, anywhere, you know, Singapore, let's say. And which also, the natural side effect of that is, is if what you're using believes that you are in that location, it means you can access all the cool stuff that people in those countries can access as well. So it does kind of open up this, I suppose, different world of uh, browsing, I guess, of, you know, streaming various things you'd watch that I guess that could include sports, movies, TV, whatever. It is, it's a very cool service. Um, it is, you know, we, we've been allowed to, to have a little play around with it. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I used, Kind of personally, I used. I remember using a VPN when Spurs were out on tour in um, Shanghai a few years back before the pandemic, because you know you had to use a VPN to be able to use all the things we do at home. And uh, but it's, that's just one very small element to it. Honestly, I really would recommend have a little read up about it um, and all the d different things you can do. And actually, it's one of those things that most people, you know, apart from the techie types, probably aren't too aware of. But actually, when you have a read of it, you're like, oh, do you know what? Actually, in most everyday things, that's probably incredible. But yeah, no, very cool to have VPN on board with us. And uh, yeah, I guess the, at the end of the uh, episode is is going to tell you a really good It is something that kind of tickles your fancy. And um, all because of Golden Guest Talk Tottenham as well. You get a bit of a, a, bit of a, a whack of a discount off as well. Right, let's get back on to the football and I think we need to talk about Tottenham's back three and the wing-backs uh, on the night. Anfield, I thought they were absolutely fantastic. I think it was Ben Davies came out with the Man of the Match Award from BT Sport. Uh, he produced such a good block on Mohamed Salah uh, late in the second half where it looked like Salah was getting the shot off what was going to bring Hugo Lloris into action prior to that. Christian Romero, really, really good header under pressure from a crossing when Luis Diaz was steaming in, looking to get on the end of that. And then in the first half as well, just Romero and Dyer producing uh, a number of good blocks and tackles that just remained solid throughout, coming up against a third front three in Diaz, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah, who have been absolutely outstanding in recent months. So they did it. They deserve so much praise for the performance. And I think you've got to say the same about the wing-backs. Emerson Royal, who has come in for quite a bit of criticism since he's been at the club, yes, he's playing the final third, has let him down numerous times, but he has always played as a right-back. And I think against Liverpool, against City in February, it's actually suited him where he's got to be more defensive and he put in... A real shift, got forward a couple of times. A couple of crosses probably weren't where they should have been. I think there was one where he tried on in a good position with what he got wrong. And then on the opposite flank, Ryan Sessignon uh, set up Son. Really good run into the box. And yeah, full credit to the back line. And I think you'll certainly agree with that. Oh, 100%. I called them in my talking points the white wall because they just were. They were so... You know, that it took such a rubbish deflected goal. And obviously it had to come from Luis Diaz, a player that Spurs you know, looked into signing. They were magnificent, the Spurs defence. I'd say maybe across the line, perhaps 
each of them's best performance, I suppose, potentially. It could, it could be up there. Ben Davies was phenomenal. Ben Davies, the amount of times he flung himself into, he just puts his body on the line. This is what I think has always wound me up about when he gets scapegoated. It's a bit like nobody probably on that team cares more about Spurs getting a result than Ben Davies. Honestly, he, I mean, do you remember under Mourinho? I know it was all a bit like the way he kind of said it. It was something about, you know, being a man. It was all a bit, I wasn't keen at that side of it. But the point he was trying to make, I think, was that I remember it was Ben Davies came off the bench, even though he was injured, just to play for Tottenham, just to make sure of trying to get the result. Um, Ben Davies, you remember back in the day they used to kind of like he had that one performance at Anfield when Mane, he was up on the left and Mane kind of skinned him a couple of times and he wasn't the first, he wasn't the last player that Sadio Mane has done that to but it became this kind of tag that was just like stuck on him all the time, oh Ben Davies up against Mane oh no kind of thing I think when you see him play, I know he's playing in a slightly different position, but when you see him on nights like this, I just hope he starts to get the respect that he deserves, Ben Davies. He was incredible. Um, and I love the fact, like I said, I finally watched Match Today too, and they kind of pinpointed a few of the flying blocks he'd done, including the one on Salah, which, and actually what you didn't really see, he kind of got up and it was almost like a, as, as close as Ben Davies will ever come to doing a celebration of a, of a block. You know, if that had been Romero, Romero would have like, gone up to Sam and just like roared in his face. But you could see Benavis kind of got up and he was like, he shouted something and his fist was kind of pumping. Um, he was phenomenal. Salah got no change on the day from him or Sessignon. He was one of the best players in the world right now. And he was muted. You know, he was as muted as that Anfield crowd at times. And maybe that played its part in it and why it was so quiet. Um, but Ben Davis got some of the stats here. Um, Blocked four shots, made 10 clearances, made one key interception and one key tackle. Um, Christian Romero, Christian Romero was just <laughs> superb again. Um, he's having a really nice run of games at the moment, Romero. He's really found his groove in the Premier League. Um, and I still have to keep reminding myself kind of how young he is. But there were times when I think he played like one nervy ball which hit the back of a Liverpool player or something and it bounced back and gave him a little chance. And he literally just about 30 seconds to a minute later went, nah, I'm going to try it again because I'm not going to be put off by that. We have to pass around this press. And he stuck to that plan. Um, he was so, so good. He was um, he kind of dri- it was a few moments where he was dribbling around the press as well. But he also loves the kind of the dirty stuff, the getting his head in. There was one diving header I remember him doing that was like right in amongst people's boots. Um, he was he was phenomenal. I think I had his stats here as well. Oh, and actually, that was I found fascinating as well, is after the game, a lot of the Liverpool journalists, the regulars at Anfield, they were like, oh, that Romero guy's good, isn't he? And it was like, <laughs> it was like really weird. It was like, have you not seen him? He's a class. And then I kind of thought back and it was like, well, he did miss the game, the first game, didn't he, between Spurs and Liverpool because he was out with his hamstring injury. And maybe if you, you know, we know it ourselves, if you're very focused on one club, maybe you don't see the good that's going on elsewhere. And thank goodness for Spurs because you think about it and it just becomes more and more bizarre that Spurs were able to get him ahead of some of these big clubs, you know, these Champions League title winning clubs that, they must be looking right now and thinking Romero could fit into any team in the world. I think he's generally that good. And what's scary is that Conte clearly feels he can be a lot better. 
is that he is going to be just ridiculous. Um, where have I got? I've got his stats here as well, which I was going to read out for you. Eight clearances, one tackle, one interception, one block shot, and then there was Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer, that's got to be up there with his best performances. He was a leader. He organised that back line. And Liverpool had, you know, when talk, Klopp talks about tactics, for some unknown reason, Liverpool's tactics seems to be let's cross into the box where these big defenders are and our attackers are quite small. Let's keep, you know, Alex, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, the amount of times he was flinging in uh, crosses into the box. I was like, who are you passing to? Because Dyer Romero are like, thank you very much. And they were just heading them away. I mean, Dyer stats, two interceptions, one tackle, 11 clearances, and three blocked shots. Um, it's phenomenal. They were phenomenal. The three of them, I think I gave them all nines in my player ratings. And, you know, it's probably unfair to not give them tens. It was purely because of that deflected shot that got by them that they didn't end up with the clean sheet. Uh, they were brilliant. Uh, wingbacks, yes. You know, you spoke about the criticism of Emerson, and, and we have, me especially, have added to that criticism on this podcast because, you know, there's no getting around it. He's a fullback playing as a wingback, and that's naturally not going to suit his game at times. But I think, hands down, that was the best performance he's had in the Spurs shirt. He was brilliant. His defending was excellent. Um, his calm, the kind of calmness under pressure as well, his passing, you know, was not... I think we kind of... We were all a bit scared in the press box of saying, like, Emerson's playing well, because you kind of felt like you were going to jinx him and he was going to do something daft. But, you know, that's something that we used to say about Serge Aurier. You know, he had a big mistake in him. He'd give away a penalty, things like that. And I think... Maybe a little bit unfair because of what Emerson can't do in an attacking sense. Maybe we label him in a defensive sense as being a bit of a calamity and a disaster. But in truth, he's actually more solid in the defensive stuff. That is where he plays well. And like you say, last couple of games, I think Conte has deliberately said, don't worry too much about the attacking. We'll let, you know, Kulisevsky or it was Lucas in the last game, we'll let them do what they do. You just kind of sit a little bit back. Maybe not be so much of a wing back. Maybe almost be more as a kind of halfway person, like a bit of a, a, um, a hybrid of a wing back and a, and a fullback. And it's benefited him. You know, he played well against Leicester and he was superb against Liverpool. They got so little out of that, that side that, you know, Robertson came off as well, having made no impact. They actually took him off. Whether that was a timeless thing, I don't know, but he was having no joy down Emerson's side whatsoever. Um, and I think I've got some Emerson stats as well. I'm the stat man today. So, yeah, when I was talking about his passing, 78.8% of his 33 passes found their mark. Half of his six crosses found a Tottenham shirt, which is a big improvement for Emerson. Um, it might not sound it, but it is. And four out of his five longer lofted balls he played all went to Tottenham players. Um, and obviously, there was a really weird moment for the goal. I still have no idea why he was on the left-hand side of the pitch. I can only presume, because I suddenly looked up, I was writing something, I suddenly looked up, I was like, what's he doing over there? I can only presume Liverpool had counterattacked or something, and he'd had to run back and he was on that side because of that. But then he took the ball really nicely. I think it was from Larice's kick. Controlled it nicely, looked up, played this bizarre but effective lofted punt to Kane, which was probably the one long ball you could say Spurs played. Kane, you know, who... It wasn't phenomenal on the day, but he was okay. Um, controlled it superbly and obviously then led to the goal, which we'll talk about in a little moment. But 
oh, I just thought Everson was very, very, very good. Um, and I think, how do I put this? I think you've got him on the right and you've got someone in Sessignon who is a natural wing back. Um, and I just think Emerson, it just showed people that there's still a place for him. I still don't, I'm not entirely 100% sure whether he'll be a Tottenham player next season, but I think he showed that there can still be a place for him. If a move for some reason doesn't happen, you know, he, he can he can kind of be a part. I think the cross that you were talking about, he played, he could have just played a slightly better cross. I think Son and Sessegnon were in the box and he played what ended up being a deeper cross that Sessegnon just about kept in and it unfortunately kind of hit it against Son and it went off. And it's just in those moments, if he if there was a way of training him to be something that he isn't at this moment, and that's being a more attacking player, you know, he's got the natural attributes to be a very, very fit, great engine on him, and like I say, defends really well. Um, and then finally, Sess, who you know pretty much before every match that Ryan Sessignon plays, I turn to guess him and say, Oh, you know, needs to be a big game from Sess today. It needs to be a big one, a good game for him. Um, and he provided it. I felt he did. I think he would have taken a lot of confidence because I'm pretty sure the home game, he kept Salah very quiet on the whole. Um, and, you know, the thing with, with Cesc, we've said this before, and it's something that Conte has said as well, he just needs to believe in himself. And I think we almost saw that journey within a match on Saturday. Early on, he was he was nervous. He was probably one of the few players that did get a little bit affected maybe by the atmosphere. He played a few iffy passes, got the wrong side of Salah early on, and then we had that kind of miscued header that Lloris had to palm away. Um, but after that, he just grew and he grew, um, and it was very reminiscent after that of his performance at the Etihad when I felt he was superb defensively. And again, 21 years old, I have to stress this, and, and again, social media beforehand, a bit like with Ben David, it's like, oh, my God, Salah up against Sessegnon, we're stuffed, kind of thing. Trent Alexander-Arnold's going to roast him down that side. No, they didn't. Sess, just like he did at um, City, at the Etihad, it didn't matter the quality of opposition. He was so tactically disciplined, and he just didn't give them any real room. And the one time Salah got past him, he very cynically, and something that the likes of Mourinho and Conte would have loved, he just dragged him back. He took the yellow card and thought, it's more important that you don't get through. And that's that's the sign of a, of a maturing player. It is. Um, and of course, attacking-wise, you could see him getting more and more confident. He started to break up the pitch, started to get to the touchline. And then as soon as that Emerson lofted ball went to Kane, Sessegnon was off like a shot. And I saw, I think it was, yeah, I think it was Alexander-Arnold, looked around at one point to try and see if there's anyone behind him. Because of Cesc's pace, he wasn't there at that point. And so he clearly, the Liverpool defender thought, well, there's no real danger. And Cesc just suddenly put on the afterburners, became a great option for Kane, and then another sign of maturity. Rather than just take a shot at goal, which I think many young players would have done that position, first time pass across to Sonny. It was perfect. And we also need to do a bit of a shout-out for Sonny as well, because that was his 20th Premier League goal this season. Um and none of them penalties. He's only two behind Salah now as well. What a big game player he is for Tottenham. Actually, just what a player he is for Tottenham. The amount of goals and assists that man has scored this season at vital points. Um, yeah, terrific. So, yeah, back line, fantastic. Sonny, another big moment for him. It's just a shame they couldn't have got three points because they deserved it. 
Yeah, just going back to Ben Davies, obviously Tottenham are looking at bringing in the new left-sided centre-back this summer. I mean, if they do, there's no guarantee whoever comes in is going to start going on Ben Davies's performances under Conte. He's just hit another level, really. So that's going to be... That's what no. you need, competition. Yeah. Yeah, you sell that. I mean, you're certainly going to benefit Tottenham in the long run, bringing in, you know, better quality players. But I can see Davis still keeping his place in the team. I don't think you can drop him, on certainly on current form anyway. Right, let's get to that missed chance for Pierre-Emil Hoibierg. Obviously, oh, we have to. I don't want to relive it. <laughs> obviously, everyone was probably going on post-match about Tottenham's defensive performance, but... They did have a number of chances in attack. Uh, some really good moves at time. There was one down the right, Emerson and Kulaseski linking up with a brilliant ball over the top, what ended up at Harry Kane's feet. Good touch in the area, but Jordan Henderson got in there with a really good sliding tackle. Uh, Pierre-Emil Hoibieg hit the post as well. Uh, Tottenham did have the chances, uh, certainly on the day to add another goal to the tally. But it's just a shame, 94th minute, was it? Something like that. Harry Winks puts in uh, a float across to the back post. Hoibierg and Bergwijn are there. Hoibierg, instead of heading towards goal, decides to head it across, looking to pick out Harry Kane, and he just gets it all wrong, unfortunately. I think it's one of those, if it comes off, everyone will probably label him a genius. But I think for me in that position, you've got to go for goal. Go for goal. If you miss it, you miss it fine. But there's a chance then if you miss it, Allison maybe palms it out, lands nicely to Kane or even to Bergwijn and Spurs nick it. So fingers crossed that doesn't prove costly come the end of the season. But we could really have been talking about three points if you went for goal there. Robert Guest claims Pierre-Emerhoibier denies Tottenham Champions League entry. Um, I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it was such a shame. It was like you just saw the cross coming in. You're thinking, oh my goodness, there's two Spurs players completely unmarked in the box. I was like, no, 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 what are you doing? And I just, that's the thing. He didn't even head it across, he kind of headed it backwards. And and I get it. It was like the headed equivalent of what Cess did for Son for the goal. That's what he was trying to do, I think. But like you say, Head that across the goal. If you head it to the far post, you've got one of two things happens. Either, yeah, um, Allison probably can't hold that ball. He probably has to push it, and then you've got Kane there. Or if you miss it slightly, it goes to Kane, who then heads it home probably. But he just did the, the one thing that was no good, and that was to head it backwards into nobody, and it was just able to be cleared. Um yeah, I did feel like Bergwijn was a little bit of a threat when he came on as well. I think he had one little run uh, at goal as well. And, yeah, he got into these good places because, obviously, he'll want to make up for the the miss against Liverpool that was kind of held against him for forever. Was it last season, wasn't it, under Mourinho? Uh, I think it was maybe just two chances I think he missed, actually. It was, it was uh, two chances that day, yeah. Yeah, so he'll be desperate to kind of score against them. Uh, but that chance, uh, it was a biggie. It was a huge one. It would have just changed the whole focus of the entire running. Um, you know, the North London derby would have been with just that. Uh, it would have been a single point, wouldn't it? Was it single? Yeah, it would have been a single point between them. Um, no, two points. It would have been two points between them, wouldn't it? I'm getting confused. 
Yeah, it was yeah, two points to begin with, so it would have been two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for making me relive it. I tried to put it out of my mind. And then I saw it on Match of the Day 2 this morning. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was really more rubbish than I remembered it being. Um, and now you've put it back. So, yes, um, I hope it's not costly in the end. And I hope events elsewhere conspire in a good way to help Tottenham. But it was a huge moment and one that he will have replayed in his head after the game. Let's get on to the North London derby then, as you brought it up. Obviously, Arsenal, four points ahead now. Yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal can secure a Champions League place on Thursday oh, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That. If they do pick up all three points, it's uh, a huge, huge game. Spurs have to win it. But I, I've, I've got a feeling Arsenal will drop points in the running in the final two, whether that's in Newcastle at St. James's or Everton do Tottenham a big favour at the Emirates <laughs> on the final day. I don't know, but given how Newcastle have done under Eddie Howe, I can see Arsenal potentially dropping points in the northeast. But obviously, it's all on this game Thursday at uh, uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. You looking forward to it then? No, no. <laughs> I never look forward to North London derbies ever. I really don't. Even when Spurs win afterwards. They're just the most uncomfortable, anxious things. And, you know, I, I'd like to think of myself as, as pretty objective when I write about Tottenham, despite the fact that clearly, you know, when I was a kid, my dad would take me to Tottenham games. I, I was brought up a Tottenham fan. But I think objectively, I, I managed to just look at things, hopefully, in a slightly more rational view than, than a fan view. But it, that is the most difficult game to not get wound up by. I do. I find myself getting so annoyed at things that happen in it. Um, and it is. It's, it's the most challenging one for me. And I just don't enjoy it. Um, I feel, especially at the Emirates, at the Spurs Stadium, hopefully it'll be slightly better. Um, I'll tell you what, though. The noise has to just be incredible. I know this is on the players, and I know the players are the only ones who can win this game. But my goodness, the fans have to play their part. They can't. I know they're going to be anxious. I know they're going to be probably pessimistic at points as well, but they cannot transfer that to the team in any way. They've got to be that 12th man. Um, this is the first North London derby at that stadium with like hopefully a full crowd. I mean, I think it's sold out. I think it's sold out a while back, so it should be packed. It needs to be, you know, I was talking about Anfield earlier, it's selective atmosphere. Um, it needs to be wall-to-wall noise for the entire game from that first whistle, from the moment that they stop the can't smile without you, <laughs> you know my opinions on the lack of hype up that brings. But what it does have is that big like roar when the song finishes just before kicking out. And that needs to be huge. And those opening minutes, it needs to be the most hostile, uncomfortable experience for those Arsenal players possible. You know, I'm not talking about throwing stuff at them or harming them physically in any way, but as in terms of a noise, just a feeling of pressure put on them because at the moment they've got no pressure on them. They don't have to win that match. You know, I think a draw, I think probably a draw would end up being enough for them. I think it would make it very difficult for Tottenham. Um, Tottenham have to win that game for me. Um, so Arsenal aren't going in with any real pressure. They've got that safety net. And I think the fans need to help 
put that pressure back on them. You know, every time that they mess up a chance, the fans need to be kind of, that kind of thing. It needs to, just even little moments like that. They just need to get inside their heads. Um, because I do genuinely believe if Tottenham play the way uh, with the, let's say, no, if Tottenham play the, with the desire they had at Anfield, I think they win. I think they will. Because I think even watching Arsenal against Leeds, Leeds imploded like 27 minutes in, two goals down and uh, Ailing sent off as well. Yet, do you know what? They were a Rodrigo weak header at the end away from getting a point. So Arsenal are there, and that was at the Emirates. Arsenal are there to be got at. They were on a good run, you know, fair play to them. They've picked up their results after that little run of three defeats, and they have they've got the results where they need to. They've done the job. Um, but there's definitely there's no way that they are like impenetrable. They they can absolutely be scored against. Um, and again, it's just about the atmosphere on the day. And every big player needs to turn up. Tottenham can't have a day when only one of them decides they're going to rock up. They all that defense needs to do exactly what they did again. And Kane needs to be. You know, can, we know Kane loves North London derby. He loves the derby game. He needs to be up for this. Sonny. Exactly what he does. I think it's going to be a new experience for Kudusevsky, and we know what he can do. I want Romero to not get wound up. He's my worry. He's my one worry is that how hyped up he's going to be, eager to impress, and how much I think Arsenal will be aware that he's the one they can probably wind up. I mean, even that tackle on Jordan Henderson, <laughs> watching that back on match of the day, was a bit like, oh my goodness. If you just miss time that slightly more, that could have been a horrendous kind of start. So, yeah, he's got to be on his best behavior um, because it's a huge game. It could, it could be up there with one of the biggest North London derbies in years because, you know, Spurs have had the, um, Spurs fans have had the kind of misfortune of watching Arsenal win the league at, back at White Hart Lane. They cannot have Arsenal finishing fourth and securing Champions League football at the stadium on uh, Thursday night. Because um, that would be the first time, how many years is it since Arsenal finished above Spurs? What were we, five, six years? Is it? Uh, when, when Arsenal got second on the final day when Tottenham lost at Newcastle? Yeah, less season. 2015-16, yeah, long time. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's been a while. And Tottenham cannot give that up, honestly. It is, you, you know, I'm yeah, I'm not going to enjoy the match whatsoever. I will hopefully enjoy whatever happens at the end of it when it's finished. Um, because, yes, Arsenal are, you know, it doesn't change for them. They're not going to slip out of fourth place, whatever the result. But I tell you what, they get beaten in a North London derby and just suddenly the morale shift, the doubts and everything. And it's not going to be an easy trip to Newcastle. Yes, Newcastle got slapped by Man City, but Man City are absolute class and there will be a reaction to that from Newcastle as well, you'd think. And then, yes, that team in blue, you've promised they're going to do a job on the final day as well. So, um, yeah, just do your job, Tottenham. Just win the game. They win all three games. They... I think they might do it. I think they might do it. I think Arsenal, the pressure might be too much, but they have to do their own job and not care about any of what can happen elsewhere. Yeah, it's very much just concentrate on yourself, isn't it? 
And yeah, I'm just looking forward to a big tackle from Christian Romero inside the first 30 seconds or so to oh, set the tone. I think it'll tackle. be. I think it'll be his first North London derby experience as well. I don't think he was in the team in September. Was he? Was he on the lads' did holiday he, in Croatia that weekend? It might have, did, did he play in the Mind Series game? Was he fit enough yet for the start of pre-season? That's a friendly, though, isn't it? That is a friendly. It was actually it was quite a good match that day. But um, yeah, it was it was still very much a friendly. Yeah, I think Romero was probably in Croatia in September. I think I think he came in against Chelsea the following week, if I remember rightly. But yeah, then as you said, Arsenal are very much there. You can get at them. I know they've won the last four on the trot, but prior to that, they lost against Palace, Brighton, and Southampton. And Southampton have been on the beach for a number of weeks now. And then I'm just taking a look at Arsenal's team from yesterday. I mean, you're looking at the team. On paper, Spurs, Spurs on paper have a better team. You look at uh, uh, here we go again with our own paper. I mean, you look at Arsenal team: Cedric Suarez, Ryback, Rob Holding, El Nenny, and Ketty up front. For those not... who are, can't see Rob Guest's face right now, he's almost got a sneer. It's almost like a meh kind of when he's looking at reading out these names, which is the scariest way. You can tell you've got no Spurs like fandom in you because... Yeah, just wait, just wait. Let me finish my point. You sound like Jurgen Klopp. That's what you sound like. <laughs> Let me finish my point. Okay. okay. It, it's it's not <laughs> the greatest Arsenal team on paper when you look at the individuals, but it's about the team, not yeah. the individuals. And Arsenal as a team have done really, really well under Arteta this season. And yeah, they're very much in the driving seat for fourth at the moment. And it's going to be really, really interesting, uh, the game on Thursday night. North London derby under the light, 60,000 plus Tottenham fans in. Fingers crossed they will get the three points and then they'll take that into the final two games and potentially could all come down to the final day of the season. Yeah, yeah, it really could. It's... um... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the whole dynamics of who's played when. Um, you know, Spurs obviously playing slightly earlier. Uh, it's, I think they'll need that because that would have been a draining experience at Anfield. You know, the energy they would have had to put in that, whereas maybe Arsenal less, especially against 10 men for about an hour. Um, you'd think it will probably balance up in that respect. It's just so big. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know I say I'm going to hate that side of thing, but as as journalists, it's, you know, these are the games that we kind of get into it to write about. And for the players, hopefully, these are the matches that they want to play in. Um, it's going to be, God, Conte on the touchline is going to be an emotional wreck. He really is. I mean, we see him in the games where there's not as much on the line and he is flinging himself around. I was watching him at Anfield. The amount of... He's just like directing them. He's like a composer, just kind of conducting exactly where they need to be at all times, some of those players. Um, and, you know, he, he just... I, I, do, I, I worry for him on Thursday night because I think he's going to be so wound up tightly. He's just going to be like a... Yeah, like an exploding spring when it when the game actually starts. He's, uh, it's going to be everywhere. And uh, there's going to be – it's a derby. There's going to be some bad tackles. There's going to be flare-ups. There's going to be 
probably a VAR decision or two that we're either going to hold our breath about or whatever. Um, and it's just about which team handles the pressure on the day. Um, oh, they're just even thinking about it now. We've got the press conference tomorrow. Uh, unusually, normally for midweek games, we have the press conference the day before, but Conte uh, wants it to be two days before this time, which is going to be a slight departure in the way we do things. And uh, it just kind of ramps up the pressure even earlier, I guess, and, and the focus on the match. Um, and we haven't even spoken about the fact that, and I'm sure Conte will be asked about this, there's going to be a little spice about the fact that this game should have been played, was it, in January? But Arsenal, you know, were absolutely devastated by the huge outbreak of one reported COVID case in their camp. Um, and obviously the game was postponed that day. And, and Spurs are not happy. They're still, Conte still is not happy about that. I remember when Arteta, what did he moan? He moaned about something. Um, was it fixture scheduling or something like that? And yeah, Conte very quickly came out and was like, you can't complain about anything, can you? You got a game called off because of one COVID case and you loaned out your own players. Um, so there's going to be spice in that. That's The journalists are, are going to stoke that up ahead of the game. There's going to be that little niggle to it as well. Um, oh, it's going to have a game that's going to have everything. I just hope Spurs come out the right end of it. Thursday very much play the game, not the occasion, I think. And if Spurs yes. get the three points, then... That'll certainly ramp up pressure on Arsenal uh, going into the weekend. Spurs play on Sunday, early kickoff against Burnley. Arsenal play Monday night at Newcastle under the lights at St James's, their last home game of the season. So they'll be looking to finish uh, the season off in style. So, yeah, hopefully on the next podcast, we are talking about three points for Tottenham. So I think... I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. We've had plenty to discuss following the draw at Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp's comments, Gary Neville's tweet, and then the North London derby. So as ever, thank you for listening and keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.